You're listening to the King's Place podcast. Presenting music, comedy, spoken word, poetry, and art from around the world. kingsplace.co.uk Hello and welcome to the King's Place podcast, a monthly podcast full of all the latest news, information and exclusive interviews highlighting some of the upcoming events at the venue. On this edition, we talk to soprano Claire Booth about her concert featuring the music of Berio and Poulenc, including a one-sided telephone call, Tour de Force. The group The Bad Plus tell us more about the London Jazz Festival appearance and what it will be like collaborating with Django Bates. But first, on Saturday the 13th of November, composer and musical innovator Todd Macover will come to Hall 1 at King's Place. This is part of a week of concerts highlighting new works and collaborations brought about by this year's Alderborough Music Festival. So to learn more about the concert and his world of musical discovery, we phoned Todd at his lab in MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Todd Macover, and I'm a composer, and I guess there are a few things that characterize what I do. Uh, One is that I've been very interested in combining music and technology for quite a while. Um, My my mom's a pianist and a teacher, kind of a creative music teacher in New York, and my dad is uh, one of the original people in computer graphics, and so I kind of grew up with music and technology. I've also, I grew up as a cellist, so I'm also very interested in live performance, which is one reason why um, I've, I've spent a lot of my career thinking about how to make technology so that it can be shaped um, intuitively and and kind of ties in with another one of my interests really since I was a kid, which is um, I've always been interested in complex, rich, transformative music, uh, you know, music that uh, is demanding and um, is pushed as far as possible, but also that isn't elitist. So I think um, I think we'll put on an event that has I think three parts to it. We'll be, we we will be just uh, just coming from about a ten day workshop residency in Alborough. So um, there are a group of young composers and instrumentalists who will be um, developing new pieces. Then I think we're going to present a couple of uh, short pieces uh, that I've already done. Um, one, you know, we're setting up quite a sophisticated ambisonic. Uh, it, it, it's more than a surround sound system. It's a system that uses a large number of loudspeakers and some software that we've developed here at MIT. Um, so I think we'll present one short piece um, that we've already that I've already done using this technique. We're I'm presenting a new piece with uh, with an interactive cello, um, but I think we'll also present a short piece for cello and electronics uh, that I did a few years ago, just because it's a nice example of, um, of the kind of way I think. It's a, a nice integration between electronics and cello. And then we'll present this brand new piece, which is called uh, Spheres and Splinters. And this is a piece with um, a young cellist uh, named Peter Gregson, who um, I actually worked with um, over the last four or five years, I've spent a certain amount of time at the Royal Academy of Music in London, and Peter was a cello student there, and uh, we did a several-year project involving um, bows that we built at the Media Lab, which were 
had all kinds of electronics built into the bow so we could measure the, the, how fast the bow was moving, which part of the bow you're using, how, um, how much bow you're using, the angle of the bow in, in any direction, how close or far the bow is from the bridge. The, the, the idea is to, is to um, create this new piece with the, that we're working on now where all the sound comes from the cello, there's no added sound, and all of the transformation of the sound comes from the way Peter manipulates the bow while he's performing. And the idea of uh, spheres and splinters is that we'll use the bow to allow the cello sound to expand in many different ways and surround the audience and um, be, be layered during the playing um, and, and at the same time uh, to be split up in all kinds of different ways, uh, both by uh, splitting up in space, but also by splitting up the, um, the different sonic components of an individual cello note. It's, it's a cellist in the middle of the sonic environment and um, the, 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 the piece and the, the whole process is, um, is designed to both surround, to kind of put people inside the cello and to kind of explode the cello so it's, uh, so it's creating multiple musical textures and uh, they're all over the place. What I hope is that, um, you know, it's, it's the music that, that people remember me by, and uh, I may be totally wrong. You know, it's, I would say it's a, a toss-up at this point. You know, it's very hard to say. I think at the very least it'll probably be a mix because my imagination and my work are so connected with the technological ideas and the technology develops in a way that I didn't predict. So, for instance, as, as you probably know, you know, Guitar Hero and Rock Band came out of my lab at the Media Lab. They came out of this... Um, building these interactive instruments for people like Yo-Yo Ma and then adapting that technology to the general public and already, so you know, it's getting to a point where you can learn guitar, it's got a real physical guitar with real, real electric sound. So I think that idea of opening uh, you know, technology that opens music to the general public is, is, um, is a legacy. But, you know, it's the music itself that I hope lives on and um, we'll just have to wait and see. Next on the King's Place November podcast, we take a look at the London Jazz Festival, which once again returns to the venue this month. One of the highlights this year will be a performance from the jazz group The Bad Plus. This trio of high-octane improvisers are joined by multi-instrumentalist and jazz pioneer Django Bates. Once again, we picked up the phone and spoke to Reed Anderson about his band. Three people, me, Ethan Iverson on piano, and Dave King on drums. We're a, a band that I guess you could say we're a jazz group, but we're, we're a very eclectic one and very a mixture of many things, and a very unabashed one at that. Um, Dave King and I grew up in the same suburb of Minneapolis, and we met when we were both, I think, around 16 years old. Ethan and I met uh, a couple years later in Wisconsin where I was going to university and he was uh, still a high school student. You know, we, we just had a strong musical connection and hit it off immediately. And three of us got together once as, as kids basically and played at my parents' place and never thought we would ever play together again. But, uh, you know, after 10 years, we all kind of went our separate ways. We, we 
became composers and you know everybody was doing some really unique things and we were all fans of each other. Ten years later we thought well why don't we just try to get together and see what happens and it was at that point it, it just felt quite magical because it just felt like a place where we could all really be ourselves but also you know create a, a group sound it's a band sound so we from that point we, we really committed to the bad plus and to being a band the thing about jazz is sadly the the idea of a band is is, is something that's kind of fallen away and it's it was something that we felt was important to to bring back to have a group sound um, so often in jazz personnel are shifting around it, it tends to be you know this person's trio or this person's quartet and uh, so there's a there's this leader centric approach to things which frankly we just believe in music that has a personality something that you can identify with growing up being uh, well Dave and I at least being fans of rock music and fans of bands and it's something we've really tried to bring back into the music because historically speaking, all the, the jazz of John Coltrane Quartet or the Miles Davis Quintet or whatever, these were working bands. That, that music is those specific people, even though the name may have indicated something else. But, you know, it's kind of one of the main mission statements of what we do to, to have that kind of band identity and band sound that's in rock music that, that's disappeared from jazz. Even when Dave and I first met, we were fans of Django. Uh, you know, hearing him in um, Bill Bruford's Earthworks band, and he's just such a phenomenal musician and amazing talent. And we've gotten to know him in the past few years, and and, and uh, we're just we're just huge fans, and we're honored that he's willing to to do this with us. We're we're not a band that really collaborates. You know, I, th I think it's what we'd like to do, and I think Django is certainly the right person to do it with, is, you know, to go, to have a, you know, a kind of group aesthetic. We, we know his music, he knows our music, and I think it's going to be a very natural, very uninhibited kind of uh, uh, melding. This is the King's Place Podcast. The Bad Plus with Django Bates play Hall 1 at King's Place on Saturday the 20th of November as part of a series of London Jazz Festival concerts, not to be missed. Lastly on the podcast today, we travelled to Hampstead to catch up over a cup of tea with soprano Claire Booth. She tells us more about her career and a very special concert she's performing entitled The Human Voice. Could you give us just a little bit of a potted history? I mean, you, you studied, studied at music college? Uh, yes, I did. But after I'd been to university, I did a, a history degree at Oxford uh, when I left school. And then I got in with a bit of a musical crowd. Um, and then when I left Oxford, yes, I don't know, I kind of I like a good challenge. So I sort of thought I'd apply to music college and see what, what happened. And um, I got taken on at the Guildhall. And so I ended up doing four years at the Guildhall and then a year at uh, the National Opera Studio. Um, yeah, and then let out into the wide world. So yes, a history degree and then five years of, of music college. And 
as a singer, and I mean, from the, from people on the outside might not know, I mean, is there a clear path on what you can do? I mean, you, you seem to have made your name for yourself in the more modern repertoire, but it, did you know that was what you were going to do when you when you left? No, I didn't. Um, I think people want to find a direct path as soon as possible, and that can actually be a bad thing. At music college, I think teachers and staff and pupils alike sort of are desperate to be like, OK, I'm the Puccini singer, I'm the good sight reader, I'm the all-rounder or something, and it because as, as if you can then... Yes, I had no forge a line for yourself, but actually I think in the real world, recession or no recession, um, actually the wider you're able to spread yourself, the more chance you are going to be able to A, pay your mortgage and B, be musically satisfied. Um, for me, I I had um, a long friendship and relationship with a, a chap at university who uh, is a composer and a conductor and he introduced me to a lot of modern composers who I probably wouldn't have got into otherwise and through my friendship with him, I really did develop a, a sort of a, a love of good modern music. I enjoy the challenge of new music. I really enjoy working with um, composers who are here and now, and it's it's a big thrill to be to have a piece written for you to sing. So lots of reasons why I like doing that. I'm happy to be known for doing sort of newer music because, in a sense, I know that actually it probably only makes up fifty percent of my time, but um, it's a fifty percent that I really do enjoy, and I'm very fortunate to to do it at a pretty high level, I guess. So at King's Place in uh, November, you will be performing two pieces. The first one is something that you've kind of made a little bit of a mark or made your, you know, made your own, which is the uh, the Berio. Um, well, that's very um, kind of you to say that I've made it my own. I haven't performed it oh so many times, but it's definitely a piece that I have wanted to perform long before I ended up giving my first go of it, as it were. And people were nice enough to write nice things about it, so I guess I guess I did a good job. Um, I think those sequences um, that Beria wrote, you know, for individual instrumentalists and and for the voice to do their own thing. I mean, they are a wonderful opportunity for a musician to show off, to to do what they do. I mean, I think if you heard ten singers give a version of the sequenza, they would all be utterly, utterly different, and that's sort of brilliant, especially when when you talk about you know you know, the tradition on your shoulder, I think at its worst, that can end up with 10 versions sounding slightly similar as everyone tries to ape Maria Callas, a silly example, but that kind of idea that, that there is somehow a right way of singing the Countess in Figaro. You know, I, I, it's sort of lovely how, in, in, a, in a way, there is no right way to sing the sequenza. You've just got to sing it with balls and you've got to perform it. I'm sure most people that go and see something like the sequenza even if they've heard it once, it'll be, as I say, it'll be very different hearing it the next time and other people will be coming to it afresh and thinking, you know, what the hell is this? How has he, how has he written this? I mean, you almost want to show them the score because, I mean, you sort of, it is, it is uh, as, you know, with other of Berio's pieces, very sort of pictorial and, uh, um, well, it's almost like a book, you know, and you're, and you're trying to find the music within these sort of quite obscure drawings sometimes that, that, he, that, he, that he writes on the page. You know, how do you do that? You know, there aren't very many words, but they kept being repeated. In a sense, it's your job to find a narrative for his words that rings true, not only to the audience, but clearly for you, if you're going to make a strong interpretation of his piece. And the second piece that you're performing just sounds amazing. It's this idea, uh, Poulon has set um, Jean Cocteau's uh, monologue for, for a woman on, on the telephone. I mean, how did you come across that piece? 
Um, God, actually, when I think if there are other sort of um, sopranos hearing this, they'll sort of they'll know it as well as I do in the sense that it's um, quite a well-known um, sort of dramatic monologue for soprano, which I think most student sopranos kind of know about and really want to, to do. So, I mean, I, I discovered it when I was at college. Um, my uh, One of my senior teachers, a uh, lovely lady, um, Penny Mackay, was a great um, Poulin interpreter, and we spent lots of time working on that piece, and um, and I think she's, you know, introduced me to it. And, and um, gosh, ever since I was at college, I've sort of, I've looked for opportunities to perform it. Funnily enough, um, I worked on Ostopra North and uh, was introduced to the Ingrid Bergman video if that's not too kind of like old or should I say DVD of her of her stage performance of it as just a, a spoken word as, a, as the play and it's funny because Poulenc's when Poulenc set Cocteau's play to music he clearly had a vision of who this lady was the synopsis very briefly is that the lady um, is on the telephone to her lover who has just dumped her and in essence she's trying to win him back over those 45 minutes and during that time through sort of duplicitousness probably on both sides she let slip that basically she slit her wrists and she's fairly unhinged and he basically lets slip that he's uh, he's already getting married you know he's he's binned her because he's getting married to somebody else not just because he's not in love with her anymore and so it's all rather tragic and at the end I th- you know theoretically she sort of strangles herself with a telephone cord and so you can obviously play that in many different ways the, Ing- the Ingrid Bergman play that I watched was very cool and detached and very gosh the woman was really it sounds bizarre to say she was in control because she isn't, but she was quite dignified in her releasing of this man, in a sense. And, and, in, and in a sense, the man whose voice you never hear sort of almost becomes weaker, A, by the fact that you don't hear his voice, but B, because of how how you put over the woman's comments. Poulenc, in a sense, actually, is much more... Um, emotional in the way that he sets the text and of course sometimes you can work against what a composer's done but very often it's lovely to go with the composer and I think Poulenc's version of this woman who Cocteau totally went with and and I think Cocteau was 110% thrilled with the way that Poulenc had had worked the text for for Denise Duval the soprano that that did the first performance Um, it is very much more emotional and heart on sleeve so for me the sort of the, the interesting the and the interesting thing about doing the voix men is um, trying to find those places of yeah dignity and calm in the performance. But for this performance, I'm working with uh, Nisha Jones, a great um, um, videographer and, and video director who I've done lots of things in the past with. And we both share this view, I think, that um, it's a bit trite to, to, to view this piece as a sort of a diatribe against men sort of thing, if anything you know, by slightly pulling back on the emotion, when it does break at the end, it's all the more tragic. And I think that I think that's sort of that's a, a good way to start it. But yes, it's sort of just being a bit cooling off a bit, sort of allows the singer probably to invest more in the performance rather than just being on a single track. An, em- an emotional journey, I think. Yes, it is an emotional journey, but um, it's an absolutely stunning musical portrait of this lady on the edge. Um, and yeah, well, well worth coming to listen to, she says, hoping people will come and hear her sing it. But I mean, it's a wonderful piece to perform. Really, really wonderful. So don't miss Claire Booth, one of the finest and most versatile vocalists of her generation. Not my words, but that of The Guardian. Uh, she'll be playing on Thursday, the 25th of November with a concert of Berio and Poulonk. You've been listening to The King's Place podcast. 
please visit our website kingsplace.co.uk for more information about any of the events you've heard about in the podcast tickets for all events are available from as little as £9.50 online thanks for listening you're listening to the King's Place podcast presenting music comedy spoken word poetry and art from around the world kingsplace.co.uk Okay.